potential and possibilities, discussions with fascinating people, designing a better tomorrow for all of us. I'm your host, Ira Pastor. Welcome everybody again to another episode of our show, bringing you another really fascinating guest today uh, who is helping to create a better tomorrow on several different fronts. Uh, we have the honor today of being joined by Dr. Steve Eiley, uh, who is the Chief Medical Officer and Global Head of Occupational Health and Safety uh, at the Jaguar Land Rover Company. Uh, with his medical degree from University of Bristol, uh, as well as training in emergency medicine in Australia, uh, Dr. Eiley uh, is an experienced medical director and chief medical officer. He's worked in, in senior and board level uh, positions in the UK, internationally, uh, and has practiced around the globe in locations like Singapore, Russia, Bermuda. Uh, his background has included responsibility, uh, not just for health and well-being of workforces and customers, uh, uh, but he's done this in, in various uh, diverse industries, including automotive, aviation industries, as well as insurance and private health care. Uh, prior to uh, Jaguar Land Rover, Dr. Eiley was the uh, medical director for Bupa's uh, UK insurance business. Uh, he has also worked in both the national health services in the UK and in private medicine, uh, as well as for corporate companies, including uh, British Airways, uh, AXA, and International uh, SOS, the world's leading uh, health and security risk services company. Uh, we are honored to have him with us today to talk about a range of topics. Uh, Dr. Steve Eiley, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. Thank you very much, and I'm honored to be here. It, it's great having you. Um, a lot of very interesting topics I'd like to get into, but before we get started, uh, I would love to, as we typically do, uh, hand you the floor, uh, Steve, for a couple minutes, just to talk a little bit more about you. Uh, if you can introduce us to yourself in terms of things like where you grew up, when you uh, first got interested in medicine, and a little bit about that early journey, uh, sort of the travel journey or <laughs> around the world, I, I think that'd be a neat way to get started. Sure. Uh, I, I think I inherited my love of travel from my parents. I was born in Hong Kong. Uh, they were working out there teach, as teachers in the British military forces. Uh, I spent my first two years in Hong Kong. I, I don't remember any of it, but my mum my would insist that I should. Uh, we returned back to the UK and I grew up in Liverpool, which is a city in the northwest of uh, England. Most people know Liverpool for the Beatles, uh, internationally, uh, for football, and uh, I was lucky enough to have um, a great time there dur during that period, um, going to school, uh, and became interested in medicine uh, during my secondary school years, as we would call it in the UK, 
So about the age of 13, 14, I was interested in medicine, also interested in engineering, uh, but ultimately decided that medicine was the right uh, career choice and went off to university to do medicine in 1987. Excellent, excellent. And, you know, Steve, as, as I mentioned in the uh, intro, you have, um, you know, you held positions where, and, and including current one, where you have responsibility for health and well-being of both the workforce, but as well as the customers. And I think it'd be interesting to, to start off on the workforce side of things uh, in terms of occupational medicine. Uh, you wrote a, a very interesting, we've, we've written several uh, very interesting papers in the last couple of years. Uh, the first one in the Journal of Occupational Medicine in 2021 uh, entitled, Is it Time for All Companies to Have a, a Medicus Primus? And, and you basically get into the theme here of, you know, whether we call it the chief medical officer corporate medical officer, corporate health officer, what have you. Um, this is not a, a temporary position. This is not something that the, the board just invites in once in a while to talk about. The, the medical officer, the health officer is an extremely important part of, of both the management team and the board, including in an environment where we're dealing, whether it's pandemics or industrial health or a variety of other things that uh, you're responsible for. Talk a little bit about uh, this paper, if you would. Sure. The, I don't think pe people understand truly what is occupational health, uh, and they often confuse it with lots of other terms. So it's worth just maybe starting with a very simple definition about what occupational health is for those listeners who don't really know. Occupational health in its purest form is the interaction between health and work and work and health. And we know that depending on the job you do, it can influence your health and you know, if you look back through history, there were many roles that actually damaged people's health and sometimes uh, in quite severe, severe ways. But equally, and probably more importantly now, how people feel at work and their health at work, and it overlaps into well-being, and maybe we can talk about the definition of that, right. that impacts on their ability to do a role and to do it well. Uh, and so occupational health in its broadest context is about people and almost all work is about people ultimately, um, whether or not they have digital things helping do their job or robots or mechanics or other things. It's about people. Uh, and I think the purpose of the article was really trying to talk about the fact that all, all companies are, are made up of people. And if you don't look after your people, there is very, very good evidence now that the company is not as efficient, productive and enjoyable as it could be. I think COVID brought that to the fore. The, the pandemic really showed a lot of companies how vulnerable they were to health issues. And it was very unexpected and very severe. And some companies came out of it and made it through better than others. And there was some clear differences between different companies. Um, I think a lot of companies recognise that uh, getting the right level of input from a trusted source helped them to develop a response that made them more resilient. And that should be able to continue through, not just in COVID pandemics, but at any point, because you can look after your people when there's no COVID around and you should get a better productivity and they should enjoy more, which is better recruitment and retention. 
And whether you call it a chief medical officer, a chief health officer, a chief well-being officer, I think that's all up for debate. Uh, and culturally, different things mean lots of different things to different people. But having a trusted source of health information that can help guide strategy and help guide services and programs, that was the point uh, of the article. And there are lots of ways of getting that expertise in-house, out, outsourced, pros and cons to both. But having that, no matter the size of company, is important. Excellent. Excellent. And Steve, we've been, um, you know, diving into uh, a variety of population uh, health themes uh, on the show in, in recent months. And one of them that uh, has been kind of, uh, you know, while we've had COVID there, uh, there's, you know, this other sort of pandemic of, uh, of antimicrobial resistance that's uh, on the horizon. We, we spent some time with a group here in the U.S. called CARBEX, which is, uh, stands for the Combating Antibiotic Resistance Bacteria Initiative, primarily focused on sort of the pharmaceutical industry and how, you know, we haven't done a lot of uh, antimicrobial antibiotic development in the last few decades, which is not a good thing. Uh, in the Population Health Management Journal in 2021, you published a, an article called The Role of the Private Sector uh, in Advancing Antimicrobial Stewardship. Could you, could you talk a little bit about this as well? Because this is a, uh, once again, you know, pharma does their thing, but there is Obviously, this is a very important role in, in the millions of individuals that work in industry and heavy industry uh, to also controlling uh, various forms of antimicrobial resistance in the workplace. Yeah. I, I, again, worth just spending a moment defining what antimicrobial resistance is and why yes. it's important. Absolutely. Um, it, it, it's one of those topics that probably hasn't uh, got the attention it deserves, uh, unless you're in the medical space and you've been exposed to it and, and understand it. it. And it is of supreme relevance and one of the biggest risks facing humanity. Um, and that's not an understatement. No. We say it with a smile because we had COVID, exactly. but actually antimicrobial resistance was there before COVID, is still there now and is probably getting exacerbated by all the things that are going on in the world we don't have great responses to some of this infectious diseases the way that we manage and steward uh, our current antibiotics is critically important to make sure that they still work and they do what they're supposed to do and if we if you look back through history at what happened before we had antibiotics it was not a, a pleasant place to be at all so looking after those antibiotics is key Within, within private industry, within large employers, many of them have health programs and those health programs look after huge numbers of people around the world. And we have a part to play in the way that we design the health program, in the way that we educate people, including employees, because we have the ability to educate and inform our employees that sometimes is better than some of the national health systems or the public health bodies. We can become a trusted source of information. We're able to communicate to employees and their families. We're able to help guide through the programs, the proper stewardship of the antibiotics and antimicrobials so that people use them when appropriate and also know when you don't need to use them because it's not actually a bacterium that you need an antibiotic for. It may be a virus and you should just go home, take fluids, take paracetamol and actually it will improve on its own. Uh, and I think companies need to understand that you, and you need a level of clinical understanding to help make it work properly. 
um, to ensure that we don't end up making uh, something that is already a huge risk globally worse. Uh, and I think that's where companies have a much bigger part to play. And that, that piece, that article uh, was very much done in conjunction with the pharmaceutical industry and some of the, the chief medical officers there because they see the relevance and they see the interaction about how we can work on a much broader base with other private industries uh, and other private employers around the world. Outstanding. One other um, very interesting article that you published, uh, Steve, in Travel Medicine Infectious Diseases 2021, a pre-travel risk assessment for international business travelers during the COVID pandemic. Um, I, I looked up, you know, uh, Jaguar Land Rover around 40,000 employees nowadays. And then, I, uh, as I mentioned in the intro, you also had experience at British Airways, uh, a travel company. Um, Talk a little bit about uh, your experiences, if you would, in managing sort of these assessments when you have, well, not that our 40,000 of them have to travel on business, but some of that, some of them do. Talk a little bit about your experiences. That's true. Uh, yeah, all companies pretty much of a certain size have business travel um, or they have expats or, or people on assignments in different locations around the world. It's a... It, it is one of those areas that people have become a little bit complacent about. Um, COVID concentrated people's minds about the risk of COVID and travel and whether the risk of COVID was worse in certain jurisdictions, but actually there are many, many other health risks associated with travel that have been around for a long period of time. And some business travelers knew, what, knew how to mitigate those risks and look after themselves, many don't. Uh, and many people, when they travel, don't understand that travel in and of itself can exacerbate certain health conditions or make you more at risk. So the, the, the purpose of a pre-travel risk assessment is to make sure that the individual is fit for travel and you've mitigated the risks appropriately. And when working at British Airways, it was also making sure that people got the right support that they needed either before, during or after the flight. Um, there are lots of different ways of doing it, lots of different companies do it in different ways, but that assessment, and it's a specialist assessment, um, it, it, it would be unfair to, to ask a general practitioner or a family medicine doctor to do it if they hadn't had some form of training, because they may not understand the difference in um, air pressure or the difference that flying actually makes, they may not understand the local risks of certain conditions and diseases in certain locations, which changes all the time. And we, we, we even see that um, currently when we're assessing travelers that you need to keep up to date with information about the diseases, where they are, and then it's a risk, an individual risk assessment about protecting that individual to make it as safe as possible for when they go. And having a process, um, we find that it's about making sure that everybody does it. Um, even senior managers are at risk and you could argue sometimes they're more at risk because they tend to be slightly older because of the age group of seniority as you go up the company. So looking after them is also critically important and losing them to an, an illness or a disease for a certain period of time can have a much bigger impact on the company than somebody else. So it's important to look after everybody who travels. Um, in Jaguar Land Rover, we have people traveling all over the world 
um, testing our vehicles. So they go all the way up to the north of Sweden and drive on the ice all the way to the desert. So we mm-hmm. need to be able to to look after them in the cold, the hot, and everything in between. Fascinating. Steve, moving um, from the workforce now um, of tens of thousands to your customers, which there's millions of them out there. Um, so I, I'm sitting here on the east coast of the United States and in, in, in Philadelphia, and uh, a magazine came to my home a couple months ago called Philadelphia Style, and in it was this article about uh, Jaguar Land Rover and wellness technologies. I went online, I Googled, and this fascinating guy named Dr. Steve Eiley popped up all over the place. Um, before we get into some of the, the really cool things you're doing on the, on the wellness technology front, could you talk a little bit just about sort of when, with this chief medical health wellness role, uh, sort of how did you start getting involved? Who calls you up on the design team and say, hey, Dr. Eiley, come over here now. Uh, we need to work on wellness technologies as opposed to this occupational health stuff. So Jaguar Land Rover, I hope most people know what we do. We we build very nice vehicles, um, modern luxury. They they are absolutely spectacular products. I hope everyone gets the opportunity to drive them. Uh, We have a huge number of engineers in our company. So of the 30 to 40,000 people that work with us, we have 10 in the region of 10,000 engineers working on the products and improving the uh, experience for the customer, for the driver, for the passenger. So this is by no means me, it is a huge team effort and it's the engineers that drive it. So I I, I must uh, make sure that they get the recognition they deserve. Um, Where where myself and my team can help uh, add some value, I hope, is, is taking that technology and looking at that interaction and some of the health and wellbeing initiatives how, how does that actually work to the person what benefit can it bring uh, and what could the future for whole hold in that uh, assessment Jaguar Land Rover has a, a vision to look after the, the people who drive our cars um, driving a car is um, something that a lot of people do and they do it a lot of time <laughs> on average I think our figures show that it's about 300 hours per year behind the wheel. It's a lot of time in the car. It's a lot of time potentially where you can improve someone's health and well-being. Um, and people, I don't think people think of that when they drive a car. They don't think, well, is the, if, if me driving this car, is it preventing me getting ill or is it could it, could it potentially make it better? And I think as we move into the future, there are so many opportunities to do that within the environment of the car that it might surprise some people. And uh, the core of the, uh, the article in the magazine, uh, you know, focused on uh, Jaguar Land Rover's morphable seat of the future. Uh, you know, you mentioned it, then when I look at you, you mentioned the, the well-being of customers, employees at the heart of all our technological research projects. And you mentioned uh, well-being, mental and musculoskeletal health. Uh, and this, you know, morphable seat of the future, uh, biometric sensors, motion dynamics data, not just for making me feel comfortable uh, on my 10 hour journey, but uh, can sense if I'm going to get car sick <laughs> at yeah. some point. Talk a little bit about this. This is a, a fascinating uh, set of technology technologies. Yeah. So if you think 
you have um, in the occupants in the vehicle, um, you have a driver and then you may or may not have passengers. Um, the way that we currently drive the car and historically it's been a very, very interactive experience where you are in control. So um, you are driving the car and up until relatively recently, it did, it did what you asked it to do. Um, over time, we are moving to a position where the car can do much more for you and it can also assess and interact with you in new and different ways. Um, so when we, when we think about that process, we're talking about um, a process of the car being autonomous. Um, in technological terms, the, the, the description is often uh, called ADAS which is Advanced Driver Assistance System. So there is an ADAS system in many cars now, including Jaguar Land Rover. And ADAS has a number of levels that's worth talking about because that brings into, the, that brings into it some of the things that we've just, we'll, we'll talk about. Mm -hmm. And the ADAS mm -hmm. levels go between zero and five. Definitely. ADAS zero is historically what we've always had, which is there's no automation, you just drive the car. Uh, and some of our classic cars and many classic cars have that and they're a great experience because you just drive the car. ADAS 1 is um, where you have shared control, so it's still hands-on, but some shared control aspects. ADAS 2 is hands-off okay. um, and that is where a lot of manufacturers are at the moment. ADAS 3 is eyes-off, ADAS 4 is mind-off, and ADAS 5 is steering wheel optional. Hmm. And we are in a process of moving towards those higher ADAS levels. Um, and with that comes the ability to do things that were never possible before. So you have a car that can monitor you, um, a driver condition monitor. It will monitor if you're getting drowsy. So on one of those long journeys, looking at whether your steering brake and throttle inputs are changing, it can actually warn you and say, you've been driving for a long time. It looks like you might be getting tired to have a break. So that, that proactive monitoring is part of it. The morphable seat is, is part of trying to help reduce the level of fatigue that drivers have. So using activators in the seat, make, making micro adjustments, makes micro adjustments within your muscles that helps um, increased blood flow which helps reduce fatigue um, and that ergonomic seat design is something that's improving all the time so it's not just about multi-dimensional adjustments but also massage functions so that it can massage you as you go climate control so you can make the seat cooler or hotter what you do for the driver though is also different to how you do what you would do for the passengers so the rear seat passengers who may wish to, and perfectly appropriately, can go to sleep. You don't want your driver asleep. You do want the rear passenger potentially to be able to go to sleep. So you may, you, you can actually then change it so that in the rear, the lights are dimmed, the, the windows are dimmed, and the heating is increased in a separate climate area so that they're able to have a sleep while the driver remains awake and has uh, you're, you're not impacting on the stress or the fatigue that they're feeling. Um, and there's lots of different things that go into that. So the car is increasingly clever at watching what you as a driver are doing and has automation built within it to assist 
Uh, and, and many of those features people will know already. Autonomous braking, um, so you, you will see that in many vehicles and Jaguar Land Rover vehicles have autonomous braking. Um, it has cruise control and autonomous braking so that it will brake for you um, in certain circumstances. Blind spot assist is now increasingly common. So you will, you, it, it can see vehicles that you cannot see. So it actually is better than you are at looking for stuff around the car. Um, and all of these things, I think, going together to make sure that it's looking after you as you're driving to prevent a lot of the challenges that come from driving. Fatigue is one. You mentioned motion sickness. That's another. Um, and as we move to autonomy, actually, there is this there is research that motion sickness in, affects more people. So up to 70 percent of people can actually suffer from motion sickness in the vehicle. <laughs> And a lot of that is in the style of way that the car drives and it, you can make it much, much easier and less likely to cause that by the way that this, the car is taught to respond to the driving style and its adaptive driving to reduce the level of motion sickness, which therefore reduces the level of fatigue. And the, um, on a related note, there was another article that mentioned um, some some. UVC technologies for killing uh, germs. Uh, you know, here's a, once again, here's a cabin that, uh, you know, whether it's I drive a half hour to work or whether I'm taking my family on a road trip, you know, we're, we're breathing, <laughs> we're, well, the air cycling in a little bit, but, um, yeah. you know, there's a lot that can be done on that front. You know, we hear, obviously, the last couple of years has showed us uh, sort of the uh, protective uh, personal equipment and so forth, but let's talk a little bit about uh, sanitizing the environment and also clean, you know, the, the, the technologies, so the next generation technologies for cleaning the air and, and everything we breathe in that uh, environment. Yeah, that, that's a really, it's a great thing to think about that the inside of the car, um, it, can you make the inside of the car cleaner than the outside? And in certain areas of the world, uh, actually the outside can be quite unclean, whether that be full of dust or allergens or potentially pathogens. Um, our cars now have the ability to clean the air and they do that in a variety of different ways. Uh, so we have filters and that they go down to a PM 2.5, 2.5 microns. So they're taking out those big particles or even small particles that can uh, cause lung disease. So it's, it's filtering the air that comes into the car. Uh, we also in our newer cars now have ionizing technology that cleans and makes the air uh, a better thing for you to breathe. And you can monitor that so that you understand how it compares outside versus inside. Reducing the allergens in particular, as well as the particulates, will increase uh, the, the, the freshness, if you like, of the air inside the car. And also uh, helping to reduce the, the, the recirculation of the pathogens, because you're more likely to, to catch a pathogen from a passenger, potentially, than you are from something external. So helping to clean the air inside the car, if you're sharing it with others, um, or if it starts to become uh, a shared vehicle is, is critically important. So we use both filtering as well as climate control, as well as ionization technology to make sure that the air is as clean as possible. Um, and you, uh, analyzing that does make you feel safer because it's, you can actually see that it's cleaner than the outside. Wonderful.
Steve, could you say a few words about the uh, Jaguar Land Rover Center for Wellbeing? Because it seems like you're you're doing some really cutting edge things in terms of uh, virtual reality, uh, mental resilience training, um, some of the other things, you know, long COVID <laughs> um, protection. Talk, talk a little bit about uh, this, because this is another really cool, <laughs> a cool area of, of what's going on in your shop. Sure. Uh, so within Jaguar Land Rover, we want to look after our, our employees um, and we, we've got a great support from our board and from our senior leadership to do that. Um, I think there's a recognition that the, the way we used to think about looking after employees was very reactive. Um, so we would wait for an employee to become sick and then we would try and help them. Uh, whether that be through some form of advice or information or some form of treatment or support. Um, so we've had physiotherapists for a long time. We've had counsellors and psychologists uh, for a long time, but it was only after somebody got sick. Um, and you often it was when they were sick and absent from work. And it's always more difficult to look after someone when they're already sick and absent. We very much wanted to, to try and shift that reactive approach to a proactive approach. We were interested in trying to support our, our colleagues before they became unwell um, and also to, to try and support them as they were becoming unwell before they got to the point where they've gone off sick because it's much, much easier to do. Um, within, within medical circles, we know that we have to look after the individual as a as a whole um, people sometimes use the word holistic um, there is a medical term for it which is biopsychosocial bio being the biological psych being the psychological and social being their life whether that be outside of work whether that be their family whether that be their finances whether that be anything else if you don't look at all of it you're probably not going to be able to support them because all three of those things interact all the time. Um, very strong correlation as an example between mental health and physical health, one can cause the other. Um, and if you have a financial issue, it can cause depression. And unless you help them with the financial issue, you'll probably never really improve their depression or, or, or prevent it in the future. So we, we've adopted that biopsychosocial approach, but we call it something much more um, less technical, I guess is a better term, because it's too medical and it doesn't work for people. So we call it mind, body, life. Um, and we have a, a number of programs within our centers for wellbeing that are either built or under construction, both in the UK and overseas. This is a physical space for our colleagues to come to. So we use both physical and digital. So they can come to a sense for well-being and there is a program for them that will help them not only when they're sick um, with the more traditional physiotherapy or psychological services, but also when they're well, helping them with some nutrition um, or with some uh, general, we call it general fitness training um, or with something a little bit more unusual and interesting, but relevant to them. So we might be helping them with their golf swing. Now you could, you know, you might question, and uh, we have had some of our colleagues question, well, how does that 
help <laughs> someone at work? What does that, what relevance does that have to anything? Uh, and is there any return on investment? And there is, you know, because we know that if we look after them and get them, they not only like coming to work a little bit more, yep. which is increases engagement, but if we can help them in their hobbies, that generally makes them fitter and healthier from a well-being point of view, which means they're more likely to stay fitter and healthier in all other aspects of their lives. So it's a very, it is a very holistic program that try, we try to cover, but it's very experimental. So you mentioned about virtual reality headsets. We, we are trying virtual reality because it's a very, very engaging way mm -hmm. for people to interact and learn and do certain things that traditionally haven't really worked very well. So we've, we're looking at trying it with some of, some of our training for individuals about how to deal with mental health and mental health conditions, because people still have a lot of stigma about mental health. Sure. In some countries, it's, it's very difficult. So talking about it and interacting in a way that makes it more interesting is more likely to make the training effective. Um, sometimes just having fun at work can be very effective. And I think the, there's often not enough of that at times. Um, and, and so we're on a journey of developing that virtual reality. I, I, I'll be very honest. I'm not sure we entirely know how we're going to use it in all these different areas. It's about experimentation. That's what we like um, because we're finding that it's really doing things that we've traditionally found very difficult to do. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, we, we actually we did a show a show on uh, virtual reality and, and, and elder care. Uh, it just you know is one example of uh, you know the different niches that we might not think about normally, but uh, places where this uh, as as the technology is is finally arriving uh, <laughs> through many iterations over time uh, of, of you know all the places that may be able to fit in. So no, it's uh, it, it's extremely exciting. I, I I wish I could come to the facility and hang out. It, it seems really really cutting edge. So I, I, I thank you for you know outlining outlining that for us. Um, but but going into one of the topic and, and this is a nice transition here in, in terms of. Uh, a theme that we uh, get into a lot on the show, namely um, aging or healthy aging. Um, it was interesting. A couple of years ago, you were interviewed uh, in, in the UK press. Uh, the the article title was "Young People Are Now Having Old Person Medical Procedures uh, More Than Usual," and and uh, the article highlighted uh, that's not it wasn't just things like hemorrhoids and varicose veins, but knee surgeries and and, and other. Procedures and it got me thinking. Uh, well, two things. One, I, I've seen you uh, sort of on the wellness circuit a lot in the last couple of years. If you can talk just in general uh, about, um, you know, from a, your clinician, uh, your medical perspective, in terms of the topic of of healthy aging, things that you're involved there. But at the same point, um, I have uh, uh, a, a father and mother-in-law that are close to ninety. Uh, they still drive. Um, don't get accidents too, too often, but uh, anything sort of uh, within the portfolio of health and wellness and some of these advanced technologies, uh, specifically focused on uh, the growing uh, elder environment, uh, the, the elder population. Yeah, it, I think, so we know that um, a lot of the diseases, chronic disease are increasing. Chronic disease burden and some of these are related to lifestyle issues. Um, there is increasing obesity, unfortunately, and increasing levels of people being overweight in many 
cultures around the world based on a whole load of factors which are extremely complex. Though that, that level of obesity uh, and being overweight and unfit brings forward some of the conditions that you used to see in much older age, you know, so people's knees are wearing out, backs are wearing out, other things are wearing out, and therefore they're requiring surgical and medical intervention much, much earlier than traditionally we might have seen. Um, and that goes back to the point about looking after people both at work and sure. out of work, um, which is complex, sure. difficult to do, um, re relates to many, many factors, both social and international in all sorts of different ways. Uh, I think the challenge of looking after our elderly is we have an elderly and growing elderly population in many cultures around the world. And you find that we have the... Um, we, we have people in the middle, uh, probably our age, although I think I'm a bit older than you are, um, looking after our parents, uh, and our parents are aging all the time, and their, their independence is extremely important to them, and it does become a challenge at certain points with certain conditions to be able to drive and to drive safely. Until we get to the point where um, there are fully autonomous vehicles, at some point, some conditions are going to stop individuals from driving. And unfortunately, as you get older, you're likely to get more and more conditions and you end up with either one that stops you or a multitude that stops you driving, uh, which does reduce their independence, which is often um, something that they really, really miss. Uh, and their only options are there to take taxis or public transport. Um, but having the ability to, to have an autonomous vehicle in the years to come would give them more options to move around uh, whilst we wait for the technology to catch up. But in the meantime, yeah, a, a lot of it is around the basics, which are not necessarily things that people want to hear around looking after general health. A lot of it isn't rocket science. It is about, you know, stopping smoking, exercising, eating healthily and keeping your, your weight uh, at the right point um, because those things, prevent or control an awful lot of these other chronic diseases. Um, but it's a very boring message, unfortunately. So making that more interesting, trying to deliver it in different ways to, to, to look after people before they get to the point where it becomes too difficult. That's all part of being a clinician, whether you're at work or in the health service. Yep, absolutely. Steve, what um, what else uh, is going on? I, know, I mean, I know you you get to a lot of conferences and and, and you share your knowledge out there, uh, sort of on the wellness uh, occupational health circuits. Um, what, what else is going on with you for twenty twenty two? Places we can see you, meet you, maybe um, anything else that I missed? Please take the floor. <laughs> uh, well, twenty twenty two, we I think we're in a transition period. Um, we've very much got. Uh, COVID done. Unfortunately, it's not done. Uh, I think one of the challenges is learning to live with COVID. It's described in different ways in different areas of the world. Very different views around the world about living with COVID and what that actually means. Um, and probably a very, very contentious uh, point. Um, but from, from a from, from my point of view, looking after colleagues in Jaguar Land Rover and their families and our supply chain, uh, which is a huge number of people, we primarily want people to be healthy and well and prevent ill health. 
And part of that is COVID, getting people ready for what is likely to be a difficult winter again with, mm-hmm. with COVID coming back in some way, shape or form. So we're starting that preparation now to look at how we can ensure that people are kept safe and well, whilst at the same time they're able to come to work and um, make the cars, because without that, you know, the business wouldn't be able to continue on in the right way. So we, w- we want to be doing that. I think we want to continue to look at how we can work with the health systems in the countries that we operate in. Uh, and that that is something that we're really keen to do going forward and probably an area where there is still a gap. Um, we have businesses in many parts of the world, both Jaguar Land Rover and other organisations, and they don't interact in quite the right way with local health systems. And I think that's because the two sides haven't necessarily understood what they can bring to the table. Mm. Um, you know, we, we can bring a lot of people, our colleagues, our workers, and we, we know who they are, we know where they are, and we can inform and educate them. The health systems can often bring the clinicians and the technology. And if we bring the two together, and we've proven this with some schemes already, you can actually make the two work much better together um, because our workers are captive to a certain extent. They're on site, they're doing a job. And if we bring the health to them, actually, they're much like more likely to engage. So that interaction between workers at work and the health systems, I think is something that we'll be doing far more with. Uh, and hopefully we'll be able to start talking about that soon, um, those interactions. and complementing the national health services where they are each national health service in each country has pros and you know struggles in other areas and i think workplaces can help uh, support that by working together uh, and a really exciting area and of course technology so we're going to see more in terms of technology more from what the cars can do more about how they look after both the driver and the occupant Jaguar Land Rover talks about this concept of a tranquil sanctuary in the car. Um, and that tranquil sanctuary is not just about what we've talked about, you know, a car seat that is more comfortable and can help you feel a little bit less fatigued, driver monitors that look after you and help you keep safer on the road, uh, an environment of cleaner air, um, and, and, you know, cover materials that are antimicrobial, all of those things together will just improve and get better and better as time goes on. And, you know, I, the one bit we didn't talk about is the advances in noise cancelling technology. Okay. Uh, cars traditionally, we've seen cars being quite a loud thing. Now, some people like a loud car, they'll put their window down and listen to the exhaust, and that's great. And, you, know, <laughs> you should absolutely be able to do that. Um, but at, at, at the times, people wanted to be a very quiet car. Um, the advances in, in automatic noise cancelling now means that you can reduce the decibels within the car by quite a large amount. And that's been strongly shown to, to make it a much more pleasurable experience. And again, reduces the stress that you feel because it's quieter to the point that it's very quiet, um, <laughs> uh, which is great. And some, you know, they're in different zones. Uh, I did suggest to the engineers that if I could make it so quiet, I couldn't hear my children in the back. That would that's be that's where I was going with it. I mean... 
I don't, they, they did tell me that probably wasn't something they'd be able to do <laughs> immediately, but it's something that they would. Well, tell them to get back to the uh, the chalkboard on that one. because yeah, yeah. That's a trillion dollar opportunity. <laughs> it is. It is. We do have... We do have the rear seat entertainment, which is almost as good. So you can plug them into that True. and then you don't have to talk to them, which is probably not ideal parenting, but sometimes <laughs> you need a break. You do. Yeah. No, um, no, fascinating stuff, Steve. I, I mean, it's just um, really an amazing uh, set of initiatives and programs you have going on there. Um, I, I look forward to continue to follow you, uh, to follow uh, the initiatives of Jaguar Land Rover on this front, uh, on both sides, in terms of uh, both the workforce and the customer uh, initiatives, but very, very exciting. And um, uh, for, you know, for, for everybody that, um, is going to be listening to this episode uh, across the, the various podcast networks or uh, watching this show on the YouTube channel or blog. Again, you've been listening uh, to Dr. Steve Eiley, Chief Medical Officer and Global Head of Occupational Health and Safety, Jaguar Land Rover Company, doing really amazing things uh, for health and wellness, both the workforce and the customers of their company. Um, Steve, I, I wanna thank you for, for taking the time out of your schedule to come talk to us uh, for a little while about all these topics. Uh, obviously, thank you for doing them. And, and as we say uh, on this show, uh, thanks for helping to create a better tomorrow for so many people via these initiatives. Really very fascinating story. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute honor and I feel very privileged to be able to do what I do. Great seeing you. <laughs>